Hello, everybody. It is so nice to be back with you all. Good evening and good day. I hope you're doing well. So for those of you who don't know, I was a little unwell last week. I was down with the virus. I thought it was COVID, but then I later tested COVID negative. And yet it was a very nasty virus. So I was bedridden for a week. And I am better now. Uh, I am recovering. The illness is over, but I haven't yet to recover my strength. So I'm working on it. But I'm better, much better. So I would like to thank you all for all your wishes and for your messages of support. I'm very honored. Thank you very much. Very grateful. Thank you very much to all of you who supported me. So let's see who all is there tonight with us. I can see RP, Tuhin, Aditya, missed you. Thank you. Harsh, Shankaji, Divine, Shibani, Kuldeep, Rahul, Shaurya, Viraj, Saurabh, Soumya, Avnish, Harsh Jain, Raj, Karan, Shrikant, Anchit, Sachi, Soch, Good Boy, Wicked Mage, Amruta, Utkarsh, Sahil, Mohit, Shanti, Srijit, Jyoti Yadav, Akshay, Shankajit, Chinmoy, Kuldeep, Paritosh, Chiching, Ashok, and so many more people. It's great to see you all. It's great to see you all. Thank you so much for being here with us. And uh, I would also like to thank all of you who have been supporting this channel, becoming members or supporting via PayPal or other means. Thank you very much to all of you. I really appreciate your support. So let us begin today's session. Uh, I'm going to keep it I'm going to cap today's session at around one hour because I'm still not strong enough. So, so let's get going. There is no specific topic of today's discussion. Ask me anything you would like to ask me and I will answer. So that's what we will do today. So what do we have? What questions do we have? You have questions? Ask me the questions. Satoru Gojo says, what was your experience? Okay, there are three questions here. Firstly, what was my experience in the field of mathematics? I think mathematics is a fantastic field. Sometimes one is tempted to just abandon physics and get right into pure mathematics because it is a field of great beauty and truth. And I suppose it is a little less controversial than physics. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is enough controversy in mathematics as well. But it's a, it's a very nice field. It is a field that is worth pursuing on its own. So yeah, I, I really enjoy mathematics. It's great. Sometimes I am tempted to go into pure mathematics and forget about physics, you know. Uh, question number two, why did I leave Sangam Talks? When was I ever with Sangam Talks? I have done a couple of invited talks with Sangam Talks. The experience has always been very good, very nice people, very very good platform. They have been doing a very good job for many years, inviting people from various disparate fields and, and uh, presenting that knowledge on one single platform. It's a very good platform. I have always enjoyed working with them and I may work with them again in the future. So I have never left Sangam Talks. I was never with Sangam Talks. I did not ever work with them, but I have, as you know, 
done a couple of talks with them and i'm i'm of course certainly open to doing such talks again in the future question number 3 what is wave particle duality wave particle duality is one of the cornerstone concepts in quantum mechanics in which a particle has a dual nature it is a particle as well as a wave at the same time so a photon behaves like a wave it also behaves like a particle depending on the context the same goes for electrons and all other quantum mechanical particles so that is wave particle duality okay what other questions do we have what are the questions do we have uh anirban says how to become an astronomer in india i don't think there is much scope in astronomy in india because first of all we don't have many facilities for the pursuit of astronomy in this country there are a couple of reasonably okay telescopes i think there is a good telescope somewhere in ladakh where the night sky is quite dark and maybe one or two other telescopes so that's all you have for for observational astronomy so i think there is not much scope for pursuing astronomy as a career or as a field of research in india thus far india has always lagged behind in the sciences because there there is so so little infrastructure and so few facilities but i am sure there are lots of opportunities outside of india especially in the developed world in europe and in the americas so how do you become an astronomer you 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 have to uh, get yourself a bachelor's degree and a master's degree in physics i am not sure if many colleges or universities offer astronomy as the specialization but as long as you have a degree in physics you can certainly uh, pursue astronomy so the basic prerequisite the minimum prerequisite is to have a degree at least a bachelor's degree in physics ideally a master's degree and then you can go for a phd or something like that in astronomy maybe if not in india if then somewhere else so that's how you that there is the typical standard career path for pursuing astronomy Well, what was that okay here it is sujoy kumar ghosh asked why were buddhists executed in ancient india by indian rulers i am not aware of any buddhists being executed in india by ancient rulers do you have any specific examples and also we have to remember that if one or two incidents like that happened somewhere it doesn't mean it was the rule the exception is not the rule as far as i can recall i cannot remember any such incidents of any persecution of buddhists by indian rulers there was a time when almost the entirety of india was essentially buddhist because both the dharma was the prevalent uh, flavor of culture that was that was in vogue in india for a very long period of time during the mauryan era during the gup uh, during the kushan era etc it is only during the time of uh, shankaracharya that uh, the other flavors of dharma became began to revive but as far as i know there have been 
there have been absolutely no significant instances of persecution of Buddhists by Indian rulers because the statement you have put here makes it look like it was a widespread kind of practice which is which is not correct. Yes, I was expecting a question about AUKUS. So the question is, is AUKUS, the latest organization between the US, UK and the Aussies, a replacement for the Quad? And what does it mean for India? So this trilateral uh, forum or, or alliance, AUKUS, is not a replacement for the Quad. It is a subgrouping of the Five Eyes Confederation. So there is something called the Five Eyes, Five Eyes Grouping. It is a, an alliance of the English-speaking nations. Essentially, the US, Canada, UK, Australia, and New Zealand. These are the five English-speaking Anglo-Saxon nations. So the Americans trust their own people more than anybody else, and they have this grouping called the Five Eyes. So AUK-US is a subset of Five Eyes. It is a military alliance of the United States, Australia, and the UK. And its sole objective is to counter China and Chinese expansionism, especially in the Indo-Pacific region. So what happened was that the Australians had this contract with the French under which they would acquire, they, were, they, were, they would have acquired 12 French diesel electric submarines for about, I don't know, $60 billion, something like that, right? And the Americans made the Australians cancel this agreement. And in exchange, the Americans are going to sell the Australians nuclear submarines. So that is why this entire thing is in the news, AUKUS. And the French are very upset about this, about this development. They have recalled their ambassador to the US and to Australia. But the Australians have done what the Americans told them. Maybe it is for the best for them because diesel electric submarines aren't that great for long-term maritime deterrence, deterrence purposes, especially when the Chinese do have a few nuclear submarines. So it is, I think, best for the Australians and for this grouping that the Australians would have, would, would, would were to buy American nuclear submarines. So it makes sense for them and that's why they've gone for it. Now, it's, so this is not a replacement for the Quad. The Quad is not a military alliance. It is a multi-purpose alliance in, in which the military element is, is uh, not very prominent. So AUK-US is not a replacement for the Quad. It is something that will augment the Quad to a certain extent. So what does it mean for India? It doesn't change much for India. Maybe it does give India strategic opportunities to, to cooperate with the French more closely than we already are. India and France have a de facto strategic partnership. It is, it is a very close partnership. There is a significant military element to it. India has been buying French submarines, French fighter aircraft, the Rafale aircraft. And there are certain other elements of cooperation as well that may not be very well known or very well publicized. So it gives India the opportunity to, to, to 
to work even more closely with the French. But it doesn't harm India in any way. It doesn't mean that India has been left out in some way by the Americans or by the Australians or anything. The Americans, Australians and the British have always been a very tight-knit group. The Americans trust their own people significantly more than they trust the, the Indians or the Japanese. So it doesn't really change a lot for India. India's uh, India's relationship with the Americans or the Australians won't change much because of this development. Okay, some more questions. Dhananjay Sharma asks, Mr. Gandhi's role in embracing the Mopla genocide might take on the Mopla genocide. It is something that happened exactly 100 years ago in the Malabar region, Kerala. It was a full-blown rebellion against, uh, by, the, by the Moplas, the converted Muslims in Kerala. It was definitely a genocide and Mr. Gandhi was, well, he kind of condoned it. He did not, yeah, you could say he embraced it. So he did not condemn what was happening. He didn't, it didn't, Mr. Gandhi did not go on a fast until death to induce the 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 rioters to stop rioting and massacring people. He did nothing of that sort. So it is one of the most infamous uh, episodes of history, where, as, as far as it uh, as far as Mr. Gandhi is concerned, it it completely exposed his double standards. He had a certain set of standards for for Hindus and a, another set of standards for the British, and yet one. One more set of standards for the people who followed foreign religions in India. So Mr. Gandhi was a, was a proper hypocrite. And this uh, and what he did during the Mopla genocide completely bears this out. It totally exposes him. We, one just has to, one just needs to look up what he wrote during those days about the events. And it, it's very clear what his stand was. He was of the opinion that Hindus should just lie down and die. So that's that's how it was. So that's that is unfortunately the truth about Mr. Gandhi. And these days, these these uh, inconvenient facts are all coming out in the public domain, which is a very good thing. Was the caste system introduced by Brahmins to dominate over others? The Brahmins were powerless. They were people whose only job was to preserve and disseminate India's ancient wisdom. The military, do you know where power comes from? What is the meaning of power? Nobody has explained power better than Mao Tse Tung. Mao Tse Tung said that power flows from the barrel of a gun. In the ancient times when we did not have guns, power flowed from the blade of a sword. Now in India, did Brahmins wield swords? No. It was the Kshatriyas, the the warriors who held political power in India. Right? So how, how would Brahmins dominate over others? So this is these are all perceptions that have been created by the foreign missionaries over a couple of centuries and after independence the same old narratives have been pushed by India's Marxist historians 
and this is just going on. And today, everybody is so brainwashed that we feel that, yes, Brahmins are evil. Brahminism is something that exists. And Brahmins dominated everybody else and they introduced caste system and God knows what else. Absolute, utter nonsense. There is no such thing as a caste system. These four categories into, into which society was divided. Do you think India society, which is more than 10,000 years old, is so simplistic that there would be four divisions? It's nonsense. It is something the British created and it has become ossified. It has become set in stone because after independence, we are categorizing. The government is forcing people to choose one of four castes in their birth certificates, in their employment, in everything. And that's why now we feel that it, is, it has existed forever. India society had the Varna Jati system, which is way more complicated and way more fluid than any four-tier caste system. So it is something, unfortunately, it is just deep into everyone's minds. And this question I get every single day. And I'm going to keep telling you what the truth is. There is no such thing as a caste system. There is the Varna Jati system, which is a very ancient and very complex system. The British could not understand it. And that's why they created these four divisions in which we today categorize ourselves. And of course, they, they had destroyed India society and therefore they had to find somebody to blame. And therefore they blamed the Brahmins and they blamed Hinduism and they blamed the victims for being victims when actually they were the ones who had created this entire situation. So that's in brief about it. I will eventually make a detailed vid video about this topic because it's not something that can be addressed in five minutes. All right. All right. Lots of questions I can see now. Chandransh asks, please tell us the story of Chanakya. It's a confusion. Some say that Chanakya defeated Alexander the Tyrant, but after seeing my thoughts, it doesn't look like that. Vishnugupta Chanakya was the mentor of Chandragupta Maurya. Now, there is a bit of confusion whether it was Chandragupta Maurya who was the emperor of India when Alexander invaded, or was it his predecessors and the Nandas? So there is a bit of confusion. As you know, India's history is quite vague and it's, uh, there is a lot of confusion. Now, Chanakya did not go to war. He was not a warrior. He was the mentor of the emperor. He is the guy who trained the emperor, Chandragupta Maurya. So uh, according to the Greek narrative or account of events, it was Alexander who fought Alexander had to fight somebody called Porus. They called him Porus. It is probably somebody called Purushottam, who was a minor king in the western outskirts of India. And the Greeks say that Alexander defeated Porus in this great battle, which was a cataclysmic, gigantic battle. What actually seems to have happened is that he, uh, that Alexander the Greek, lost to some to some small Indian chieftain on the western fringes of India. So it's so whatever happened, whether Alexander lost or he won, it is very clear that he never actually fought the armies of India's emperor. He never fought the Mauryan forces. He just fought some small minor king or chieftain in Western India. And most likely he lost this battle and he was injured and he died once he 
retreated, limped back to Babylon. So there was no conflict as such between the Mauryans or the Nandas and Alexander. So that's what most likely happened. Chanakya never even got to see the Greeks, do, I mean, at least uh, when Alexander attempted invading India. Okay, next question. Is it true that extraterrestrials are working with the U.S. secretly? Well, <laughs> well, they haven't told me about it. So how do I answer this question? Listen, we have no evidence that extraterrestrials exist. We do see reports from time to time, but those reports are uncorroborated reports. Those are not proven. Some black and white, hazy, grainy photographs or video footage does not constitute proof of the existence of extraterrestrials. So we don't know if it is true. As far as we know, we don't have proof of the existence of extraterrestrials. But, well, it is not impossible that it may be happening. Maybe, maybe, but we don't have proof. We don't have evidence. Okay, I have spoken a lot about Afghanistan, so let's talk about something else. What else do we have? Rishikesh says, in what Varna do farmers come under? Well, what Varna is that? I'm not quite very sure. They are certainly not Brahmins or, and they are certainly not warriors. So I think they would, uh, are they, are they merchants? What are they? I'm not very sure. I do not want to assign the wrong category to farmers. So I'll, so I will desist from answering this question because I am not 100% sure. Sujoy asks, who was Sandrakottos really? Chandragupta Maurya or Chandragupta I of Imperial Gupta or Samudragupta? What are the evidences to support it? I read it. I read about this from India Facts. So there is a bit of confusion. There is, there is a bit of uncertainty as to who Sandrokotos was. So the Greeks under Alexander, or was it under Seleucus Nicator? Most likely it was under Seleucus Nicator. They referred to India's ambassador as Sandrokotos. So it most, most likely refers to someone called Chandragupta because the, the Greeks were, of course, mlechas. They were barbarians. They did not know how to pronounce, pronounce Sanskrit names properly. So they called our emperor Sandrakottos. It is most likely Chandragupta Maurya, but there is some confusion. There is some confusion. So I haven't read the India Facts article. So I am not 100% sure as to what is written in that article. It most likely is not Samudragupta because Samudragupta does not sound like Sandrakottos. Sandrakottos most likely refers to somebody whose name was Chandragupta. So it seems that the most likely candidate for this is Chandragupta Maurya. So that's what I'll go with as of right now. All right, what else do we have? 
Dungar Singh Chauhan says, you said many times that partition was useless, but don't you think that if India-Pakistan were a single boundary or single entity, then there would be daily riots and our demographics would be more Muslim majority by now? See, it's like this. India was partitioned because India's leaders were feeble. They were incapable. We had Nehru and Gandhi. Right? Those are weak leaders. Those are those are incompetent leaders. And that's why India was partitioned. India would not have been partitioned if India had a strong, iron-willed leader, somebody like Subhash Chandra Bose. Now, imagine we have someone like Subhash Chandra Bose who has ensured there is no partition. Do you imagine that someone like Subhash Chandra Bose would allow daily riots to happen? I mean, are you serious, sir? Someone like Subhash Chandra Bose or someone of that caliber would never tolerate any rioting or any religious strife. They would put it down with an iron fist. So had India not been partitioned, India would have had a very strong leadership. And under a strong leadership, such things simply don't happen. The problem is that we have only seen weak leadership in the past 70 years. So we Indians can't imagine what a strong leader looks like. We have only seen weak leaders. We have only seen appeasement. We have only seen vote bank politics. And we have only seen this religious, this Hindu-Muslim nonsense. That's all we have seen. And therefore, we imagine that the only thing that would have happened if there was no partition was daily riots. No, sir. Absolutely not. Under a strong leadership, there would have been no rioting and there would have been none of this nonsense that we see every day. So that's my answer. All right. Some more questions. What's my? What are my views about Devdar Patnaik? Listen, I do not have any views about individuals. I do not discuss individuals unless those are historical figures or those are individuals that truly matter. Do I discuss individuals? Do I discuss Audrey Trushke or Devdar Patnaik? Do I discuss myself? We don't matter. We are just regular individuals. I will discuss individuals who are historical figures or world leaders. Who is this Devdutt Patnaik? He's a nobody. I don't discuss people like that. It's pointless. Please understand this. It is pointless discussing people. Discuss something bigger than that. Okay. Rajesh asks, in what ways is communism affecting Nepal? Love from Nepal. Love back to Nepal. You are our brothers and sisters. Great to hear from you. So in what ways is communism affecting Nepal? Well, well, the major political ideology right now in Nepal seems to be communism. Uh, it all originates in the policies of the Congress party, especially, what's his name? Rajiv Gandhi. Uh, Prime Minister Rajiv Gandhi stamped out the monarchy from Nepal. He, uh, I think it's been well documented by one of the former raw chiefs that... Uh, it was all done on the behest of the Congress party and the Indian Prime Minister. The Hindu monarchy was destabilized and eventually wiped out. And communism was put in its place as a, as a replacement ideology. 
so uh, today i think the major political parties espouse communism and they are very much under the sway of the chinese communist party and hinduism is on very shaky ground in nepal you have widespread conversions to christianity that are going on ever since the earthquake happened right a few years ago so that's what's happening in nepal right now communism is very very much powerful and the chinese communist party seems to have a great deal of control on various political matters in nepal so that's where we stand today which is very disappointing very unfortunate that this beautiful very cultured nation is currently in this sort of situation so one would like to see that change it's going to take some time right interpol asks what is putin's political ideology is he orthodox christian traditionalist or marxist and why does he support arab arab regimes i think putin's uh, political ideology is uh, nationalism that's what it is he wants to rebuild russia he wants to make russia strong again and uh, he does uh he's definitely not marxist he did uh he did get all his training under the kgb under the ussr so maybe he wants to recreate that sort of power structure to some extent but i don't think he's a marxist he may be a bit of several things at once but the main thing is he is a is a nationalist he is a russian nationalist and he wants to see russia strong again like it was during the days of the ussr now why does he support arab regimes he will support whoever it takes to further his national interest i have explained the national interest i have explained geopolitics it doesn't matter whom you support as long as they give you what you require every country looks at the world through the prism of its own national interest its long term national interest and if it is worthwhile to ally yourself with an arab country or a dictatorship or something else you do it there is no right or wrong there is no good or bad there is no black or white you have to your job as the ruler is to serve your country and its people that's all your job is and there is no right or wrong in that so that's why he does it because it makes sense okay some more questions dhananjay asks why are indians not able to win nobel prizes in science well there are a number of reasons for that first of all the nobel prizes are biased and there goes my chance <laughs> look the nobel prizes are known to be biased it has been well documented i've got a book somewhere here it's called a beautiful mind by silvia nasser in which she has demonstrated what kind of backroom politics happens during uh the time that a nobel prize winner is being chosen so nobel prizes are biased have you heard of uh, dr subramanian no what's his name dr ecg sudarshan george the sudarshan he should have won a nobel prize in physics three times and every time 
somebody else was given the Nobel Prize for work that Sudarshan had done. So it's well known. And many, many physicists even wrote letters to the Nobel Prize Committee protesting against this treatment. So there is definitely a great deal of bias, first of all, in awarding the Nobel Prizes. And secondly, it is also true that India's uh, India doesn't uh, invest a great deal in furthering science. I mean, India's universities are, are terrible. The research atmosphere is non-existent. India's professors, well, they don't really do any research. They take a textbook and they will read it out to you or they will write stuff from the textbook onto the blackboard and that's it, their job is done. They don't really do any real research. There are... I'm not saying there is no research. There are some brilliant scientists in India, professors, but that's like one in a hundred. The overwhelming majority of professors in India, because of the system, are such that they don't do any research. The system is like this. It promotes mediocrity and destroys talent. If you want to advance in Indian academia, in the Indian academic system, then you have to be good at politics. If you're good at research, they're going to suppress you. If you're good at politics and climbing the ladder and so on, then you will advance in the system. And therefore, the people who advance the most are the ones who are the best politicians, not the best scientists. So because of this sort of system, you don't get good science happening in India. Everybody tries to leave India. And that's why all India's scientists are working abroad. I mean, those who could get out and those who are still in India are unfortunately not do, not able to do any genuine research. So that's another reason why India does not really win Nobel Prizes in the sciences. Okay, what else do we have? Chaitanya says, why does Telugu sound more like Sanskrit than Hindi? I think the amount of Sanskrit content in the Telugu language is more than in Hindi. Hindi is a badly com- contaminated language. It has a great deal of Persian and Arabic words. Now, I know what you will say that Persian itself is descended from Sanskrit, but Persian itself is a badly contaminated language. It has a lot of loan words from Arabic and God knows where else. So that's why Hindi sounds more like Urdu. There are Turkic words, there are Persian words, there are Arabic words in Hindi. Lots of them. So it sounds more like a foreign language at times. But Telugu has a great deal of Sanskrit. I would say at least 50 or 60% of the vocabulary in Telugu comes from Sanskrit. And you could say something similar about Kannada as well. And even about Malayalam. And about Tamil. So these languages in southern India sound more like Sanskrit than Hindi does. Isn't that strange and isn't that disappointing? But that's just how it is. Okay, some more questions. Where where else do we go? Swastika says, do you think economic developments and scientific innovations will bring back our lost knowledge, culture and Sanatan Dharma back to 
power. Uh, economic developments and scientific innovations make a country or a society stronger, more powerful, more prosperous. So that brings power back to a society. See, in the past 1000 years, we have lost, we have lost control of our geography. It has been controlled by outsiders and they have been eroding our culture and our dharma, Sanatan dharma, right? That's what they have been doing. They have destroyed all of our universities. They have burned all of our libraries. We have lost a great deal of knowledge. So now today, India is taking baby steps back at regaining its lost position on the global stage, which takes a lot of economic work and scientific innovations. So as our economy grows stronger and as hopefully we rediscover our great aptitude for science and technology, as we do that in the next few decades, maybe in the next 50 years or 100 years, India will rise again as a great power. It is inevitable as long as we have the right leadership. But the knowledge that we lost, all the books, all the millions of books that were burnt in the great fires of our libraries, those will not come back. Those, some of that knowledge, much of that knowledge is lost forever. So what needs to happen is we need to, we need to create new knowledge. We need to create knowledge based on what we know we have lost. And we need to create new knowledge based on science and technology. So it is pointless to, to cry about spilled milk. It's happened. We have to remember what happened and we have to ensure it never happens again. Learn the lessons of history. But the knowledge that is burned is burned. Now we need to, what we can do is we can recreate the institutions based on our culture and our values, our civilizational values. We can recreate a new education system based on our traditional civilizational values based on the old patterns, not based on the Western system, which doesn't really work. And after doing that, we can start creating new knowledge, new scientific discoveries, new philosophical discoveries and all that. And that is what is going to uh, hopefully trigger off a renaissance in our culture and civilization. So that is what we can do. But what is lost may not be possible to revive. So that is where we stand today. Certain things are just gone, but we have to move on. We have to move forward and we have to find ways of respecting our ancestors and our lost knowledge. That's what I would say. Okay, more questions. Okay, look at, let's take a look at this. If a black hole eats the earth uh, or our solar system, can we survive it? Or are there any ways that we can prevent a black hole from approaching us? If a black hole eats the earth, there is absolutely no way we can survive it. Or even the solar system. A black hole that would eat the solar system would need to be very, very large. So there's no way we can survive such an event because this is a force of nature. Uh, is there any way we can prevent a black hole from approaching us as of today? No, we would not even be able to see a black hole because it's dark. 
it's not black it's just dark it's transparent maybe we could see the gravitational lensing that happens around it but that's only if we get very 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 lucky so as of today there's no way we can survive an event like this and there's no way we can prevent a black hole from approaching us we simply do not have the technological know how to do that but of course it's never happened in the past 3 and a half 4 billion years so there's a good chance it won't happen in the next few billion years so that's all we can do about it Pranay says, "Is it possible that human species evolved separately in India because India was part of Africa, and we can see similarities between the animal species that are found in India and Africa? See, India was part of Africa about sixty, seventy, or something million years ago. Humanity is about two million years old. When humanity first evolved, our." distant ancestors at that time india was already part of asia understand the chronology who's that politician up chronology samajhiye understand the chronology understand the time scales we are talking about right so when india was part of africa no humans existed dinosaurs were still everywhere even those that died out in the great event of 65 million years ago so there is no evidence that human species evolved separately in india if we find such evidence then we can take that seriously but as of today no there is no such evidence and therefore to the best knowledge that we have the best evidence that we have it tells us that that humanity first emerged in africa if we find better evidence elsewhere then i will change my opinion as of today from the best evidence i have seen i can say that it is quite likely that humanity originated in africa all right let's see some more questions Uh, Divya says, "Why can't India use its soft power like South Korea is using K-pop and its entertainment industry? Well, it is not. It is doing so organically. It is not doing it as an instrument of foreign policy. Uh, the South Korean government did not create these K-pop bands. They just emerged because South Korea's society has become prosperous enough. When there is a certain degree of prosperity, then." all these entertainment industries and all they they just take off on their own so uh, these kpop bands etc emerged spontaneously organically and somehow they seem to be quite popular especially among teenagers and youngsters and that's why it is something that kind of helps south of us uh, south korea's image globally now India does have its own entertainment industry which is Bollywood and what not which is utter garbage and Bollywood has its own agenda of promoting certain certain flavors of culture and all that so it is not working out very well it is quite counterproductive to India's overall image because it 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 puts forth a distorted skewed and incorrect image of india's culture what westerners think of think of india's culture is very much influenced by bollywood and, and 
we know that is not indian culture so that is the reason why india is unable to uh, to count on bollywood to a great extent for its soft power the thing is as india's economy slowly gets better as india becomes more prosperous then such bands and music bands and all that will emerge spontaneously across the country india will no longer be dependent on one city mumbai and the small little cabal of bollywood entertainers for entertainment and that's when you will see the real flowering of indian culture and that's when india will be able to draw on that for its soft power but i like i have mentioned in the past soft power in itself is useless unless you also have hard power soft power is something that augments hard power but it is pointless on its own so people don't respect a country based on soft power people respect countries that are prosperous and powerful and that comes from economic power and military power which are both forms of hard power so you may have the best culture but if you are poor and if you are weak nobody will respect you so respect comes from strength and only then is soft power something that becomes relevant sharda says what is the future of the of the quad after the auk us can we trust the usa the quad has its own place like i explained some time ago the quad will continue the quad will go on furthering its function and its agenda can we trust the us certainly we can trust the us we can trust the us to pursue its own national interest as long as we understand what the american national interest is we know what they will do and if we know what they will do then we can trust them it's only when you blindly trust somebody that you get into trouble so india should have should be under no illusions india should be under no qualms india should know exactly what america wants in the next 10 20 years and that you can do if you examine the global geopolitical uh situation and scenario in detail so yes as long as we know what the usa wants we can trust it it is certainly not uh, um, india's friend it is nobody's friend it is not even australia's friend or the uk's friend or anybody else's friend the usa no country has any real friends it's only temporary alliances as long as we understand this we are fine okay some more questions can india bring back the kohinoor diamond from the uk maybe someday we can bring it back when we are able to apply the right kind of pressure and leverage on the on the british right now they are sitting pretty with the diamonds and everything else they have stolen from india in the future it will be possible when india is powerful enough as of today india is not powerful enough setu venkat says is uh, mr modi good leader my views on it 
See, in the, future, in, in the past, I have been quite critical of the government of India. The fact is that you should never be, you should never praise the government and your leaders too much because it makes them complacent. I have been quite critical on occasions of the government of India. Now, here's what I have to say about Mr. Modi. I think he is the best leader we could have asked for today. He is a very intelligent person. He knows what he is doing. Mr. Modi understands the world much better than we understand it. There are things he knows that we don't know about. He knows the global geopolitical scenario and everything else far better than us, far better than me. And he is doing a very good job of navigating India through a very difficult and dangerous time. And most often, the greatest danger you face is not from your enemies, it is from your allies and those you consider to be your friends. The most dangerous people are actually the ones who are supposedly on your side. There are certain very dangerous nations on whose side India currently is. And so that's the reason why it is a very difficult and dangerous time. It is a it is a decade of great amount of upheaval. And we know that Mr. Modi talks about Vasudeva Kutumbakam and he praises Mohandas Gandhi, etc. There are reasons why he does it. There are reasons there, there are things that need to be done. It is not something that many people like. I think we all agree that Mr. Gandhi was not the greatest of leaders. He was a hypocrite. He was a British agent. And yet Mr. Modi praises him. There is a reason for that. So I think that Mr. Modi is one of the best prime ministers India has ever had. I don't want to praise anybody too much. One can praise them after they retire. But I think he's doing a very good job. I think we could not have asked for a better leader right now. And it is a very difficult time. And we would like India to become a superpower next week. But that's not how it works. It is a long process. It's a process that has to be uh, that has to be taken up step by step by step. And I think that's what's being done. There are many things that we are not aware of. So, so we should not criticize too much. We need to have a little bit of patience. Be patient for the next 20 years. <laughs> that's what I would say. All right, next question. Shubham says, India would be democratic. Would India have been a democratic country under Netaji? I don't know. Maybe India would have been an autocratic dictatorship under Subhash Chandra Bose. And is that a bad thing? I mean, even if Subhash Chandra Bose would have been a dictator, I think India, I think he had uh, expressed the desire to put India under a dictatorship of, of sorts for about two decades because that's what the country needed to kickstart its economy and all that. And if you look at other examples, take South Korea, for instance. South Korea was ruined in the Korean War and it was under a dictatorship for a significant period of time after the Korean War. And that's what kickstarted its economy. If you look at the story of Vietnam, or if you look at certain other countries, you see similar patterns. 
so maybe it would have been a good thing to have a one man one party kind of rule for 20 years or so and use that to kick start india's economy because as we know democracy it works only when a country is really prosperous when a country is not prosperous when a country has lots of problems in democracy it does more harm than it does good especially a fake democracy like the like the one we have in india in which you are only allowed to vote once in 5 years but you cannot really participate in governance and you don't have any democracy any internal democracy within political parties in india so this is a fake democracy it's a pretend democracy i think a dictatorship may have been a good idea as long as it was under somebody who really meant well somebody like subhash chandra bose maybe it would have been a good thing maybe who knows it's only speculation okay what else do we have preet says why is our government changing the education system i think there is uh, some new education policy or something which does some kind of which uh, seeks to change the education system to some extent i think it is not enough why are we changing it because the education system is something that still lives in the 19th century it is a colonial artifact it does not see the the what is the purpose of an education system the purpose of the education system is to empower the student it is to give the student the best possible tools for success in life and if you empower the student and create these confident capable talented young citizens who could be future leaders then it's good for the country now the indian education system does not do that it simply it is designed to mass produce clerks and peons and coolies it mentally brainwashes students and it does the very opposite thing than it's supposed to do it does not give you any confidence it robs you of your confidence so these are the reasons why there is a need to reform the education system now the government has unveiled this new education policy that seeks to do some such thing i think it's not enough but at least they are doing something so that is the reason why the government is changing the education system rishikesh says do we really need this very complex legislative system no we don't need a very complex education legislative system the system that we have the system of governance the system of uh, legislation these two houses of parliament and then you have all these little space state assemblies that go on and on god knows what they do it is a very complex and cumbersome system you have so many elections every year it's a never ending process the entire energy of the country is wasted within instead of being focused on developing the country we don't need this it is a system that was built by anglophiles it was built by our so called leaders who were so much in love with the british that even after the british left they wanted a system that reminded the, reminded them of the british <laughs> and this system is something that developed in england in the past 1000 years 
this uh, Westminster system of democracy, parliamentary democracy, it is suited for a small island. It is not suited for a subcontinent-sized civilization such as India. So it is not what this country needs. It is something that is counterproductive to the national interest. Hari says, is it possible for two galaxies to collide with each other? Then what happens? Yes, galaxies do collide or rather they merge together. So galaxies are enormous collections of stars. Our own galaxy has hundreds of millions of stars. So when two galaxies come together under the influence of gravity, of their mutual gravity, then what happens is is that they essentially merge together. There is no actual collision because there are so many empty spaces between stars in in each galaxy. So there is a gravitational dance, a tango, the gravity, the, the galaxies move around each other for several billion years. Eventually they merge into a single galaxy and there usually is a supermassive black hole at the center of each galaxy. So these two also go around each other and eventually these two also seem to merge even though there is the problem of the, there are certain problems Theoretically, it seems that it should not happen, but it still does happen. So that's an, that's one of the unsolved problems in astrophysics. But yes, galaxies do merge. Our own galaxy is going to merge with our neighboring galaxy, which is the Andromeda galaxy, in about two and a half million years or so. Or is it billion? Something like that. So it's going to happen eventually. <laughs> my friend brags about being a history master what do i do in that case praise him praise him yes sir you are a great history master good for you what else can i say <laughs> okay what else do we have Utsav says, is it possible it was an alien invasion theory instead of Aryan invasion theory? As in our Hindu texts, it is said that Vishnu came from Vishnu Loka and similars. I don't know. As far as I know, there has been no alien invasion or Aryan invasion. Uh, Vishnu came from Vishnu Loka, etc. Well, see, look, this is all philosophy and spirituality. So we have to treat it as such. We should not take all of these things very literally because there is a great deal of metaphor in India's spiritual texts. So that's all I have to say about that. Haven't I answered this question? Anyway, Vibor asks, what's the truth behind Prithviraj Chauhan's death? We are told that he killed Gauri with the help of his friend Chand Bardai, there is nonsense. He was defeated in the battle and uh, he was blinded and taken in chains to Ghazni where he was executed. That's what happened to him. Abhishek says, what was the Khilafat movement? Okay. 
so the khilafat movement was the movement to uh maintain the caliphate so there have been a number of caliphates of islam the last caliphate was the ottoman caliphate its uh capital city was constantinople istanbul and the turkish sultan was also the caliph of the muslims which is the religious leader of all the muslims in the world so in the 1900s uh the turkish leader mustafa kemal atatürk decided to abolish the position of the caliph and he wanted to uh create a republic out of turkey so he made the position of the caliph quite weak and ineffectual it was clear that he was going to abolish the caliphate i think it was in 1918 or thereabouts and in response to this muslims in india certain muslim leaders in india started protesting against this possibility of the abolition of the caliphate so that was the khilafat movement and this was a fringe movement in india no one cared about it until mohandas gandhi decided to support it and then overnight it went from a fringe movement to a national mainstream movement so mr gandhi ensured that millions of people in india supported the khilafat movement most indians i think at the time thought that khilafat means some kind of protest against the british they did not realize that they were protesting in favor of the caliphate and the sharia law so that was the khilafat movement eventually the caliphate was abolished by mustafa kemal atatürk and this entire thing fizzled out but its effect the effect of mohandas gandhi's support for this movement was a pan islamic consolidation across india which eventually resulted in the partition of india so that was the khilafat movement okay do we have some more questions rajesh says where did the white people originate well all people originated in africa in the last out of africa migration which was about 70 or 75000 years before today uh originally all people were dark skinned but there was a genetic mutation that took place somewhere in india or between india and the middle east and this was the mutation for fair skin so this mutation first originated most likely in india it was about some 8000 or so years ago and that is the origin of the white skin so this uh, genetic mutation is found in india it's found more in europe and uh, so that is the origin of white people in very brief i think i have spoken about this in one of my previous live streams about the aryan invasion theory i think so i think there is a short clip also on my channel you can look it up so that's the origin of white skin and and white people okay let me take one more question for today Madhav says I think Russia is a better ally than the US for India what's my take on it I think Russia has I think culturally Russia is closer to us 
and india and russia understand each other very well because of our past uh, experience during the cold war uh, as of today russia is more aligned towards china there is a de facto temporary alliance with china and russia and that's why it is important for india to keep its options open and look for alliances everywhere it can find this is a multilateral world we are living in india has good relationships with the arabic countries india has excellent relationships with uh, several european countries especially france india has a good working relationship with the americans as well the americans need india to counterbalance china and india has an excellent relationship with russia as well in the past and right now also it's a good relationship because the russians too are quite wary of china they know that china is a big problem even for them in the long term so it's a complex situation i think india and russia will always have a good relationship especially as china rises further and if the americans do decline if america does decline if the west does decline as it is currently declining then in the next 20 30 years china will become more powerful in which case india and russia will be naturally drawn towards each other in in alliance so it's a complex situation that we are in right now and things are changing quite rapidly in this decade gorov says does india have any space telescope like hubble james webb etc because i don't see any picture or video from isro till now india does not have any uh, such any comparable space telescope i think there is a a mission being planned sometime in the future maybe sometime in this decade of some kind of space telescope you know creating a telescope like the building a telescope like that and launching it costs a great deal of money and india seems have to have decided that um the money is better used elsewhere india does have the capability to to build a good telescope and deploy it in space but as of today india does not have it i mean we have this uh, spacecraft chandrayaan in orbit around the moon but we don't see any images being being released from it i don't know why i mean if you release images from the chandrayaan spacecraft then it's going to uh it's going to make youngsters more excited about science isn't it but still it doesn't happen and we also have the mangalyaan spacecraft in orbit around the around mars from which again we don't see any new space, new photographs being released so it's i don't understand this policy of not releasing any photographs or images or video even though we have the machines in place to do that these spacecraft do have telescopes and other remote sensing equipment and yet we're not releasing it it's just a question of i don't know either they don't have the permission to release these images or they just don't care i'm not sure what it is i think scientists would very much like to release new photographs and images because it's fun isn't it anyhow that's where we are today okay let me take one final question for today Aditya says I think India has uh, I think the US has left weapons in Afghanistan for India to control 
well, is India controlling any of those weapons? No. So unfortunately, it is not the case. Okay, what else do we have? What else do we have? Chiranjit says India has a space telescope named Astrosat. Well, I am not aware of it. If it is there, then it's not really, really doing much. So that's where we are. Let me take one more question. Hari says, why Prithviraj Chauhan remains buried on the outskirts of the Afghan city of Ghazni? I've heard the story too, but I don't know how true it is. I've heard the story that he's buried somewhere out there. Well, if he is buried there, it's because they chose to bury him there. What can I say? There is, uh, this hasn't been confirmed by archaeologists, but I have heard this story several times. So that's what it is. Okay, one final question for today. Okay, this is today's last question. We have such good relations with Japan. Why doesn't the Indian government work together and find the reality of the ashes of Netaji kept in the Renkoji temple for DNA test? Listen, you cannot DNA test ashes. When you burn a body, everything gets burned, including DNA. There is no DNA test of ashes. You just can't do it. You will not find a single strand of DNA in ashes. And that's why it's pointless to try and do DNA test of those ashes. Most likely, the Indian government knows what happened to Netaji Subhash Chandra Bose. Most likely, it is, it is most likely that it was that Netaji did not die in that so-called plane crash. Most likely, Gumnami Baba was Netaji. It still remains to be proven, but it seems to be very likely. So the Indian government, I think, knows what the truth is. It has simply not, it has simply not released that information to the public thus far. And that is why, that I think is why it is not bothering about those ashes kept in the Renkoji temple. So that's where we are. All right, my friends, I'm going to stop it right here. Thank you very much for all your questions. It was great to see you all again today. And I will see you in tomorrow's live session, live stream, which is going to be in Hindi, the first Hindi live stream. So I will see you tomorrow in Hindi, same time on my Hindi channel. Until then, thank you very much for your viewership. I appreciate it very much. Thank you very much. Have a good day. Have a good night. And I will see you soon. Bye.